Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. We'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, as we say often from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. You may wonder, well, why does he keep repeating that? The answer is this. That sadly today there are so many churches, congregations of the Lord's people are meeting. And the word of God that's read, sadly, it's a perversion of the scriptures. They authorized it the most faithful and most reliable translation. And we thank the Lord for it. Isaiah 50, let's read from verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. 
Now, my text tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. It reads as follows, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Now, I've entitled tonight's message, Considering Our Resolute Redeemer on the Road to the cross. So we're thinking about our resolute Redeemer on the road to the cross. Now, when you think of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible, his whole life can be divided up into five specific areas. Think of his incarnation, his virgin birth, his life at Nazareth, right up to the age of 30. That's one stage of his earthly pilgrimage. And then at the age of 30, the uh, start and commencement of his Galilean ministry with the words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe the gospel. And that Galilean ministry lasted about two and a half years. It was centered in and around Capernaum in the northern province of Galilee in the land of Israel. And we could study the various journeys and think of the events that took place and the uh, places that the Lord Jesus went to. And each place that he went to always took him back to the headquarters there at Capernaum. And then there was another stage of his earthly pilgrimage when for about six to 11 months, his ministry moved from Galilee and mainly focused on the province of Judah. You've got to think of the trips to Jerusalem and the things and the incidents that happened in the temple. And then fourthly, in the earthly pilgrimage, in the life of our Lord, there's much focus on the last week of our Lord's earthly life. And that's a whole study in itself. And then fifthly, here's the final part of that earthly journey, the last night of his, our Lord's earthly life. You've got to think of his arrest in Gethsemane. You've got to think of his unjust trial in Gabbatha. And then, of course, the very next day, he's led to the place of crucifixion, place of the skull, known better as Golgotha. And then, of course, his body that day is taken down from the tree and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man's tomb that nobody had ever lain in. And that was adjacent to the place of the skull. It's known as the garden tomb to this day. And then, of course, we have Easter Sunday and the story of the resurrection. Uh, he is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord stay. Now, during the time of his life, especially during his three and a half years of ministry, the Lord Jesus told his disciples on four separate occasions that he was going to die on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem. You see, in Mark, sorry, Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. He has asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? They answer, Matthew 16, verse 14, John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he asked this, but whom do you say that I am? And of course, we have Peter's great confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we have Christ's response to that, verse 17, uh, right through uh, to uh, verse uh, 19. Uh, and we've got that tremendous statement, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now notice verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And it says in verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now look at verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You see, Peter didn't understand the gospel. People didn't understand why Christ had come into the world. Peter didn't know that he was actually opposing the true gospel. Peter was actually doing the devil's work. That Peter lacked a clear, true knowledge of the gospel. That's why the Lord Jesus turned from him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And then sometime later in the Mount of Transfiguration, remember when Moses and Elias uh, came and spoke to the Lord Jesus as he was transfigured before them and he talked about his death at Jerusalem. And remember uh, Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, Moses and Elias, uh, and uh, yourself. And a cloud overshadowed them. Uh, and, And they heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And as they came down the mountain, the Lord Jesus said this, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Matthew 17, verse 9. And then if you look with me at verses 22 and 23, and while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. So so there's the second incident. And then if you turn over there to Matthew chapter 20 and look with me at verses 17 to 19. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him and the third day he shall rise again. And then we read finally, here's the fourth uh, reference in Mark chapter 10 and in the verse uh, 32 and right through to verse 34. And they were going, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed and as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit on him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, on this occasion, they're going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. And many events have taken place on route. Remember the healing of the two blind men. And you think of them and their steep climb up to Jerusalem. And it was during that steep climb that the Lord Jesus took them aside and he told them these words with the word behold. 
Now, if we're to think about the life of Christ, sum it up in a few sentences, surely one of the best would be Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For it says there, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give us life, a ransom for many. The life of Christ was a life of sacrifice and service. Now, I've told you all that to tell you this. Think of our text. And think of the words in Isaiah 50, verse 7. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. You see, this is a reference to the resolute determination of the Lord Jesus Christ in relation to going to the cross. Our resolute Redeemer on the road to the cross. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, we read these words. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So that's what we're thinking about tonight. Our resident Redeemer, who four times told his disciples that he was going to die in Jerusalem. And he went about it with rock-solid determination. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. That's what we're going to think about tonight. Three things. There's a rock-solid prophetic announcement. You see, if you think of Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7, therefore have I set my face like a flint, it, it was declared. As I've told you at least four times, the Lord Jesus told them he was going up to Jerusalem to die on the cross and that he would rise again the third day. On those occasions, he took them to the one side. He had quiet moments with the twelve. He shared with his disciples. And he gave them the startling prophetic announcement. And it was during his time with them. But you know what? It never seemed to sink in. They were dull of hearing. They were dull of understanding. Exceedingly sorry for the words, but didn't fully understand them. It's a bit like the announcements in church. People switch off. People nod off. People drift off. It seems as if these disciples were oblivious to his death that was coming. They, they seemed to be amazingly innocent to it all. We're, we're, we're even focusing in on the last week of his life. On the last night of his life, they didn't fully know. Even though it was declared to them four times, and four in the Bible is the number of completion. So on four separate occasions during that three and a half year ministry in Galilee and Judea, he told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die. He declared it to them. But it was also very detailed. You see, the Lord Jesus fully knew in advance all that was going to happen to him. If you go back there to Matthew chapter 20... And look with me at verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold. The word behold means see and understand. So what does he tell them? Look at the text, verse 18. We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed. Now think of that. Who was the betrayer? Judas Iscariot. And who will he be betrayed unto? The chief priests. And unto the scribes. And then he adds, and they shall condemn him to death. Remember, they prompted the crowd to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. But of course, they had no power to crucify him. Look at verse 19. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles. 
That's to Pontius Pilate. That's to King Herod. And back to Pontius Pilate to do what? To mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And he shall rise again the third day. The third day he shall rise again. You see, four occasions the Lord Jesus makes this prophetic announcement. It's as if he's taking his disciples on the journey step by step on the road to Calvary with them. His life, his earthly life, ended up being crucified on the tree. He gave his life, the Bible says, a ransom for many. That's a summary. I've already told you that. And we could think about Christ's Calvary road, the journey that he took. It was not only very detailed, but I want to tell you something else. It was determined. Solid, rock, steely, prophetic announcement. You see, all he did, he did according to the determinate counsel of God. He didn't run away. He didn't try to escape. He didn't try to turn aside. He didn't act strangely toward it. No, he set his face to go. He was steely determined. It was rock-like determination. The Lord Jesus was totally set on doing this work that God the Father had given him to do. And of course, it had all been prophesied. If you think of Isaiah 50 verse 7, this was 700 years before he came. The evangelical prophet Isaiah could say in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheek to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. I'll, I'll not be confounded. You see, it's, a, it's tremendous prophetic precision. He set his face like a flint. What does that mean? Like a flint rock. The, the, the flint rock is a hard rock. It's not easily broken up. How did the Lord Jesus go to the cross? Voluntary, yes. But also with rock-like determination. Despite telling them all that was going to happen him in Jerusalem, he was still determined to go up to Jerusalem. He was determined to press on to the cross. Luke 9 and 51, he set his face steadfastly to go, not behaving like a robot. As I've said, he didn't turn aside. He didn't turn away. He didn't say, but, but I can't do it. He, he didn't act strangely. We know how he carried out his work. How he carried out every activity. How he carried out every decision. The people that he met. The people that he helped. He, he did it with the mindset that he must steadfastly press on to the cross. It would be unthinkable to say or suggest that he didn't want to go. It would be an undeniable thing to say that he didn't want to go. It was an absolute necessity. How did he go? Voluntary, joyfully, yes. Vicariously, yes. But he went with solid rock-like determination. You see, in light of this prophetic announcement tonight, here's the Christ we rejoice in. This is the gospel we rejoice in. We have a, a resolute redeemer who willingly, voluntarily, and joyfully set his sight on the cross who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, all that was involved in it. He, he didn't shrink back. His face was like a, a solid rock going. 
I was thinking, do we not need a similar steely determination in our Christian walk and witness for Christ? Do we not need the same kind of resolution today? Here's great, precise, prophetic certainty about Christ, the one in whom we believe, the one whom we profess to be our Redeemer. Remember, we're born and indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. We're led and guided by the same Spirit. We're not children tossed about with every wind of doctrine. I believe we must be marked by the same Spirit of determination. I believe that we must also set a course. We must pick a road. I think of Luther. Here I stand. I can do none other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. So help me, God. Amen. You see, the Lord Jesus knows all about us. The Lord has a plan and purpose. Our lives are mapped out. The Lord knows all about the future. He knows exactly what we need. So we can rejoice in this rock-solid prophetic announcement. Thank God it was declared. Thank God it was detailed. But thank God it was determined. Notice something else. There's a rock-solid penal atonement here. If you go back to our text, in, in, in the context here, he tells us, if you think of the words, for the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. You see, I want you to think of Christ on the journey. The Bible tells us that they hated him without a cause. And they planned to kill him. Their cry was crucify him. Crucifixion is a horrible death. The Lord Jesus was destined and determined for a life of pain and suffering and sacrifice. And yet he didn't choose a way to escape. He didn't try to evade the cross. He didn't try to run away. Yes, he went willingly and voluntarily. But he also went Joyfully and determinately. What a wonderful saviour is Jesus my Lord. When you examine the details, especially as we find him there and have read a number of references, for example, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, linking it up with these words, I've set my face like a flint uh, um, uh, to, to, to go to Jerusalem. It highlights his suffering. It highlights the death of Christ. If I could say tonight, I would say this, he was determined to suffer. The Lord Jesus gave himself up to a life of hardship and suffering. He suffered in the days of his humiliation. His suffering began the very moment of his incarnation in the day of his virgin birth. But he faced his suffering with a rock-solid sense of mission and purpose. There was much to endure. You've got to think of the scourging, leaving his back like a plowed field, running red with blood. Got to think of the crown of thorns crushed onto his lovely brow and the blood spurting out and running down his face. You've got to think of the beatings with the rod, plucking the hair from the face, slapping him, mocking him, saying, Heal, King of the Jews. The spitting in his face. Could you imagine if somebody came up to you and spat in your face? Would not spittle be a spittle of contempt? You'd be trying to wipe it away. That would be disgusting to you. you. You think of them stripping the Lord Jesus naked. 
and nailing him to the tree. Those cruel spikes in his hands and feet. And all the while he knows he has power to lay down his life and power to take it again. Because the Father has sent them. The Father has given him a work to do. There's a people to save. There's a church to gather out of the world. And all the while he was determined to suffer. That pain of suffering of crucifixion. Also he was determined to be a sacrifice. Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice forever. Sat down in the right hand of God. Over there in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, and in the verse 23, this is what we read. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. It says in chapter 4 and verse 28, similar words. Listen to what was said. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. When the Lord Jesus was on the cross, he was offering a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He was a substitute. He took my place and yours. He took the place of his people. And he made a vicarious atonement by the shedding of his blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he that is God hath made him to be sin for us, who you know sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And you see, the death of Christ involved the shedding of blood. And I want to stress again tonight that the death of Christ on the cross and the involvement of shedding of blood was not an afterthought. It certainly wasn't a mistake. The Lord Jesus just didn't die the death of a martyr. He didn't die just to show us the love of God. The Bible tells us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did he approach it? Willingly, with zeal, joyously. He was on a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, freely, and voluntarily, he gave himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He bore the wrath of God. Remember what the Apostle Peter could say there in First Peter in chapter 2 and in the verse 22. It says of Christ who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. It says in verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body in the tree. That we being dead to sin should live on the righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. And we think of Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, sadly today, there's many who, like Peter, have a bad reaction to the cross work of Christ. They, they don't understand it. They, they don't like it. it. It hasn't sunk in. And they're easily waylaid by the devil. And that's what's happening today, sadly, in many so-called evangelical churches. There's an evil, progressive Christianity has crept into the churches. You think in the context of Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, think of Mrs. Zebedee. She's very proud of her two boys, James and John. They're good lads. But she comes to Christ and Lord, could we have a wee quiet talk? Have you got a special place in your kingdom for my two boys? Could they sit one in your right hand and, and one in your left hand? Now, why did she ask that? Because she was full of petty, selfish ambition. The Lord Jesus had to gently deal with her new picker. But the church of Christ isn't built in personality. It's built in biblical principles. The disciples of Christ have to come to the place where they say, but not my will, but thine. Lord, 
have your way. Lord, let my name perish. Lord, let me live not to promote myself, but promote you. Lord, grant me true humility. Lord, grant me cleansing constantly in the blood. Lord, I'm unworthy to be called your servant. See, anything that takes you away from Christ and from the cross work of Christ needs to be renounced and repented of with rock-like determination. But he was also determined to be a success. Not only determined to suffer and determined to be a sacrifice, but determined to be a success. If you think of these four references that I give you, it says repeatedly, and the third day to rise again from the dead. In the context of Isaiah 50, he says, for the Lord God will help me, Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. The Lord Jesus never suffered defeat. The Lord Jesus knew no retreat. The Lord Jesus died in the tree and shed his blood, but rose again bodily from the dead, now lives in the power of an endless life. Why? Because he had this assurance, for the Lord God will help me. Now how did the Lord God help him? Very quickly, I want you to think of this word flint. There are six references in the Bible to the word flint. And the first reference is uh, Deuteronomy 8 and 15. But the second reference is Deuteronomy 32 and verse 13. And it speaks in Deuteronomy 32, verse 13, oil out of the flinty rock. And is oil not a symbol for the Holy Spirit? And I put it to you tonight, here's how the Lord helped his son in the success of his work, his atoning work at Mount Calvary. Did the son not receive the spirit without measure? Surely we could say no man was more spirit-filled than the Lord Jesus. Remember at his baptism, the spirit of God came upon him with power. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. But turn over there tonight to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Because here's an interesting um, linkage. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. Here's what the Bible says. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It was through the eternal spirit He offered himself without spot to God on Calvary's tree. When God made Christ to be an offering for sin, and even though he forsook him, Christ did the help of the eternal spirit. He was aided and helped in all the physical agony that he was suffering, in all the pain and turmoil, as he suffered the agony of the wrath of God. Remember, he uh, was morally upright. He did no sin, he knew no sin, and in him was no sin. And here he is in this offering of redemption. And he had the help of the eternal spirit. The Lord Jesus was not a pathetic victim on the cross. He was not a mere passive individual on the cross. As he died, he was fully in charge. He was in full control. He was not ashamed. He was not confounded. Why? Because he had this rock-like, steely determination, even in his penal atonement, because he was determined to be successful, and he was, through the help of the eternal spirit.
One final thing tonight. A rock-solid practical antidote. See, I believe the Lord Jesus knew all about his sufferings. He knew the life of sacrifice that was required even before he was incarnated in the womb of the virgin. All the details could be set out in the covenant of redemption with his father. He, 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 he knew that he would see the um, fruit of a soul and he would be satisfied. He, he knew the extent of the work. You see, you and I tonight face many struggles hard struggles in the journey of life. Maybe you're listening to me right now and you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with temptation. And even though you're encouraged to hate sin and loathe it and turn aside from it, because of the subtlety and wickedness of temptation, you're easily succumbed. Maybe you're struggling with guilt because you have succumbed to sin and temptation. And you can see no help and no way out. Maybe you're struggling tonight with uncertainty and you don't know the future. And what's the answer? The answer is to get sight of him whose face is like a flint. This one who is a rock-solid, flinty face. And as you face bitter disappointment, and as you face heartache and sorrow and face death, you see, what does our face say? Somebody who's gone through those type of struggles, the face says worry and fear. But if we see Christ, if we see him by faith and get to be like our master, and we consider him and taken up with him, then we'll not have a wrong and bad attitude. We'll have this rock-solid practical antidote because here, I believe, is the answer to gospel weariness. I believe here's the answer to our life's work and mission. Here, here's the answer to our um, uh, work for Christ. We're thinking of our three-day children's club. Remember I told you about the first reference to uh, the flint in the Bible? Deuteronomy 8 verse 15 talks about water out of the rock. See, see, the Lord can provide for the week ahead. The water, of course, is another emblem of the Holy Spirit. The Lord will provide all that we need. The, the, our attitude should be, Lord, I want to do your will. I don't want to be in your way. Maybe you're thinking, but I'm in the way. Because I'm struggling with sin and temptation and, and guilt and uncertainty and fear. And it's written all over my face. And I'm carrying the burdens of life with me. Is there any help for me? The answer is yes. Get to the rock. Get to Christ. Consider him. Because there's water of provision out of the rock. Remember what he says in John chapter 7 and in the verse 37. And this was the last time that he was in the uh, temple on the last day of the feast. And he says this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit's a wonderful gift. And in light of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, then following on from that was the day of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Spirit. And if you know about your struggles in life, and you can talk about your details with 
great precision. This has happened and that has happened. And I'm upset and sad and I'm, I'm mad. Whatever struggles you have, the only way you're going to get through them is to get a sight of Christ, to see his face, the face that's like a rock-like solid flinty face, because that is the practical antidote to weariness and to walking with the Lord. I commend this little thought with you tonight in the gospel, and I pray that the Lord will help us even as we journey with Christ